0: In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. Moses and Aaron obeyed Yahweh, the one true God, and went to Pharaoh and commanded, Let my people go. For those who know, this will be merely the first of many times Moses will demand the Egyptian king release the Hebrew people. Pharaoh refuses, but his reasoning will prove to be vital to understanding what happens next. He proclaims, Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice? Well, Yahweh will, over time, show Pharaoh just who He is. Good morning. Today is Monday, November 14th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. As always, our program is brought to you by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit them at lhfmissions.org. Please join me in welcoming my guest, the Rev. Matthew Lorfeld, Pastor of St. Paul and Emmanuel Lutheran Churches, in blue earth minnesota pastor lorfeld welcome to thy strong word well thank you it's great to be on yeah i'm excited to have you on Uh, you and i uh, had the same vicarage congregation you were there the year before i was at saint john's lutheran church in east moline illinois and i think that's kind of how we got connected and now we're serving in the same district together and uh, so i when i saw you at conference i was excited to have you on yeah, it's, it's
1: great. Like I said, great to be here. Great to be in the, the district with you, um, at least for a couple more months. Um, oh. yeah, there I, I, by the time this airs, it's, it's already been announced to my congregation, but I've accepted a call to Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin,
0: Okay. Uh, St.
1: John Lutheran church in Kellner, Wisconsin. So I'll be making that transition. Um, in the next few weeks, but uh, uh,
0: currently serving still here in Blue Earth. That's wonderful. I'm sure that God God will bless your move and the new ministry opportunity. How is uh, ministry, I suppose, in Blue Earth, though? Because I always like to ask people because people at home listening think, you know, how are other churches compared to mine? So, you know, share with us a little bit about how ministry has been in Blue Earth. Well, like a lot of congregations, the last couple of years have been uh, have been hard, um, but that's
1: not to say that God hasn't been blessing us through this. Uh, we've got uh, a wonderful after school program that that happens. Uh, our, our public school here in Blue Earth lets out early once a week. And so we have what we call early release uh, time and the uh, kids from the school come to our church, we've got about half of our students that come to this are not members of our congregation and uh we get to teach them about God's word about Jesus and and you know the love of God and and show that in their lives and it's a lot of a lot of fun it's a lot of uh, opportunities to to uh reach people with the gospel that might not otherwise get that chance to hear about Jesus so uh that's something I'm I'm perennially uh excited about here and uh um, I I just look and as I see Even even as I'm making a transition, I've been telling my leadership, we have so much to be thankful for, and we have all the reason to be optimistic, because the Lord has given us exactly what we need uh, to uh, proclaim uh, his love and his kingdom, the forgiveness of
0: sins given to us by Jesus Christ, uh, right here, right now, uh, in our community. That's great. You know, I know you've been a blessing to them, and whoever God has in mind for their next pastor will continue to be a blessing for them because you know God already knows uh, who He has in mind, and so that's the uh, that's the blessings. Well, Pastor Lorfeld, before we get into our text for today, I'd like to invite you to begin our time together in prayer. Sure thing, Heavenly Father,
1: you have blessed us with your divine word, which has revealed to us the salvation which we have in your son. Grant us wisdom as we study your word. We may see your hand moving throughout its its pages, pointing us
0: to your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we'll be taking our text today in chunks. Uh, there are only 23 verses in the chapter, but, Uh, Just so that we can consume it in bite-sized pieces, I'm going to go ahead and read, starting with verse 1 through verse 9. I'll be reading from the ESV. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Wow, brother. So, uh, you know, Moses and Aaron, they, they're they going, they're doing what God said. And, well, it doesn't look like it's working out. Uh, you know, it's interesting in our last time we gathered around this text in, in chapter four, you know, we had, we'd said, you know, God has given them this task to go and confront Pharaoh, but he's but he knows it's going to fail, and he even revealed to Moses that it's going to fail at first. And but he sends him anyway, and so it does. Of course, God knows what He's doing, and we know that God has an ultimate plan. But you know, what's the context around what's going on here? You know, catch us up and then take us into what uh, what Moses and Aaron are having to confront. Well, as
1: you said, uh, Moses had now uh, confronted Pharaoh and. From his perspective, it really seemed like a, a giant failure on uh, the, the three signs that he had given uh, Mary, that he was to give uh, those, those were going to fail. Um, and now we have uh, the dialogue that happens between Moses and Aaron and, and Pharaoh. Uh, one of the keys here uh, that we're going to be looking at is something that actually happened even before God told Moses what was going to happen with his staff and the snake. Uh, but, uh, we, we find out that, that God reveals his own name. His his holy name, Yahweh, uh, to him. And this is going to play a a big role. Uh, the context around this of course is that Pharaoh does not worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. Um, and, and he, is going to refuse uh, to, to let the people of Israel go and worship Yahweh. Uh, the name itself is important. Uh, you probably mentioned this as you studied chapter 3, but Yahweh uh, defined is, is I will be who I will be, I am who I am. Uh, that is to say, um, I, I'm not a God that you can control by just invoking my name. See with Pharaoh and, and, and their worship, you could almost control the various gods of Egypt if you knew their name. Well, that's why Moses brings up Yahweh's name when he goes to Pharaoh. Um,
0: but Pharaoh, uh, has no idea who this guy is. In the old Testament, whenever they have Lord in all caps, this is Really, Yahweh, it's, it's the name of God. They would say the word Adonai, meaning Lord, with the idea that if you don't use the name of the Lord, you won't misuse it. Or it's, it's harder to misuse it. Uh, and probably not a, a terrible a leap of logic there, but at the same time, we've inherited this tradition. So, you know, I read it as Lord, except for that first one, I slipped up. <laughs> because normally when I'm reading in my Bible studies at church, I instantly translate them to Yahweh as we're going through. So, yeah, the name of God is so important, as you said, and and knowing the name of a God in ancient tradition, as you also pointed out, gave you some sort of control or power over it. And that doesn't work with the real God. And, And furthermore, you know, the people who worship a God, their strength, their power was connected directly to what people perceived was the power of their god so pharaoh thinks well you know we're powerful we, we we have all this might so therefore our gods are more powerful than what god of a god of slaves well if they're slaves and they're weak and they're pathetic then so must their god be weak and pathetic so you know he his his answer, his question who is yahweh it just drips with sarcasm, doesn't it? Just contempt for their God.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, who is Yahweh that I should obey him? By letting Israel go, he 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 not only has contempt for Yahweh, but it is also this this uh, contempt for the people of Israel, who, by the way, they themselves did not even know their God's name. Um, you know, this is we're talking in Pharaoh's mind. This, this belongs to the minor league in the Pantheon. Um, uh, but we'll find out real quick uh, that, that he is sorely misled. Um, he does not know anything about the Lord. He does not know anything about Yahweh. And he refuses to let the people go. When Moses then answers Pharaoh... Uh, he once again identifies that that this God is, is the God of of the Hebrews. Um, a little review for you. Uh, Heber was one of the sons of Shem. Uh, we have to go back to Genesis. I believe Genesis chapter 10. I'm trying to remember that off of the top of my head. So I might be off by a chapter or two. But one of the sons of Shem, Heber. And that's where we get the name Hebrew uh, from. Uh, but... This this God uh, that they worship uh, wants them to go and worship them in the wilderness and sacrifice to him. And notice that 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 Moses says that if they do not, uh, if they do not worship and sacrifice to Yahweh, he may strike us with plague or sword. This gives a little foreshadowing uh, to to Pharaoh, uh, to the king. Who, by the way, I, I find it really interesting. We we have Moses and Aaron named. We have Yahweh named, but in in the Book of Exodus, Pharaoh is not named. We have other pharaohs who are named in the Old Testament, but right. this Pharaoh, his name is is wiped from the record. Now, I, I believe as most. Uh, Bible-believing scholars do that. This is probably Moses III, uh, the the Pharaoh of the Exodus. But I think in writing this, uh, in writing it this way, as Moses does, he he does so, so that our focus isn't on which of the Pharaohs is it. Our focus is on the Lord, is on Yahweh.
0: Right. I mean, Pharaoh himself would have considered not only himself, but his fellow Egyptians would have considered him a god, right? He's the incarnation of Horus, I believe, uh, the son of uh, Isis and Osiris, uh, a son of Ra. So, you know, he doesn't have any respect for their gods. He thinks he himself is an incarnate god. And yeah, the fact that his name is not mentioned, to be honest, uh, Pastor Lorfeld, I had never really considered – But it makes a lot of sense. When we were studying Daniel, we had some similar situations there where even the names were given are seem to be actual, um, um, you know, misspelled on purpose or misconstrued on purpose in order to mock the gods of the at the time Babylonians. So, yeah, here it seems to be the same thing. Yeah. And I like that. I like that makes a lot of sense. And, And the focus should not be. You know, well, let's connect all of this to history, although, you know, the apologetically minded among us really like those things. We like to be able to connect them to history, not for the purposes of, of assuring our faith, but just for general interest. But, yeah, that the focus is really on not the name of their God, Pharaoh, or their various gods, but on the name of the one true God, the Hebrews God, the real God. And then
1: the story continues. The story continues we had a previous Pharaoh who saw that the Hebrews were growing in number and was so afraid that he had all the young, uh, the, the baby boys killed. Uh, and yet Moses was spared. That's kind of how we started this book of Exodus, but this Pharaoh, he actually kind of sees it. Great. I have more slaves. I have more people to, to do my labor. Um, and, and so when Moses says, we want a three-day weekend, uh, the Pharaoh just simply says, no, why are you being so lazy? Uh, you would have them stop working for me. Uh, Pharaoh is now becoming the embodiment of everyone's nightmare supervisor, manager, uh, the, the one who continues to demand more and more work, but not pay you anymore. Uh, well, we're going to see that that this is going to uh, end for for the people of Israel. It's going to seem like an extraordinary burden, but God is going to use this this very burden uh, to to
0: bring about this history of salvation in Exodus. That is a very fascinating point you know in verse 4 but the king of egypt said to them Moses and Aaron why do you take the people away from their work get back to your burdens <laughs> you know i think sometimes we forget a couple of things as hard as it might be to forget that the people are in servitude in egypt i think we do i mean they're they're asking a tremendous thing of their of their slave master they're asking just just trust us to go out into the wilderness and we'll be back we promise now he says, no, that's just, you know, that's just recreational time that you could be spending working hard for me. Uh, but then verse three, you know, they say the God of the Hebrews, right? Our God, Yahweh. We want to go three days journey in the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh, our God. And the implication there s- seems to be, and, and, and I don't know if you'll agree, but this isn't like some trick to get them to be freed. Perhaps you, Pharaoh had the opportunity to allow them to go and worship their God and they would have come back. You know, the goal is that they get connected to their God, Yahweh. Now, we know that Yahweh, seeing far in the future, knows that the Pharaoh won't relent and that he is eventually going to free them from slavery. But from the Pharaoh's point of view, you know, is this really a good business decision from a manager? Right. You know, he could give them this six or seven day vacation and they come back refreshed and ready to be slaves again or he could uh, do what he did now now the reason i'm bringing this up is because i just wonder where does his fear come from that he's just going to lose his slaves or is his fear coming from the fact that maybe their god if they appeal to their god that he will be powerful or maybe there's a third thing that I'm just missing. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? Just, you know, when they said, let us go three days in the journey into the wilderness. This doesn't seem to be a trick just to escape, does it? No, it seems like it's a soft
1: sell uh, that Moses mm. and Aaron are are giving, giving Pharaoh that, that opportunity. The Lord's already told them that he is going to free the people. Right. So this is. But at the same time, this is this is the first offer in the, I guess you could say, in the kind of divine negotiation. Just let them go on this three-day journey. The Lord knows, of course, that Pharaoh is not. Um, and if he's not going to let them go on a three-day journey, by golly, the Pharaoh certainly isn't just going to say, okay, all you slaves, you can leave. Uh, only the act of the lord only the act of yahweh is going to free these people uh, it's not going to be by the power of moses's persuasiveness or aaron's uh, maybe uh his his better speech than moses sometimes i feel like moses and i just don't ever have the right words but uh but aaron was the one who would also speak for
0: moses and have more eloquent language to use uh Aaron kind of but uh spun Pharaoh, everything he said, right? Kind of put a polish on it. Yeah, he
1: was he was the I guess the 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 orator of the two of of them, the the speech writer. Oh. So Moses Moses and Aaron they they give the soft sell, Pharaoh says no. And Pharaoh also then is going to react and respond. By then making the burden of the people of Israel even stronger in in, in verses six through nine, as we have heard.
0: Don't no longer give the people straw to make bricks, but they still have to use straw. They have to gather it for themselves. Uh, I only emphasize that because, you know, I, I have to admit, you know, I guess I've always read this and I've read it a number of times. And I always thought they now have to make bricks without straw. And that's not what's being said here, even though it's the way the uh, the ESV titles it making bricks without straw. That's the title. The editors of the ESV give this section, but it's not that they're making bricks without straw. That would actually be of no good to the Egyptians. They want strong buildings. It's that they're no longer provided straw. You no longer give the people straw. It's just adding extra work, extra steps on them. So. It seems that not only uh, is the Pharaoh interested in them not going and worshiping their God and not being lazy and working extra hard, but you know, he doesn't really benefit by working his slaves extra hard. So there seems to be a meanness to it, just a, just a vindictiveness to you know, de- them daring to bring up another God in the presence of the Pharaoh. Yeah, absolutely. I actually did some digging on this whole phrase oh, okay. "bricks without straw." There
1: was a there was a um, an article written in the Biblical Archaeologist from uh, I believe it was 1971, um, volume 13, uh, and and he, the author of this "bricks without straw," Charles Nims, he's the one that actually does the real research. I just read his own research, but he mentions that that this phrase gets used for the first time in English in 1658. So there's a long history of, of misunderstanding this. The point really is that not that the people would be making bricks without straw because the straw would be necessary for, for strength and also flexibility of the brick. Um, but there are actually some cases where there are some archeological digs that have identified bricks that do not have straw some even in the in the uh kingship the the time of of Tutmosis moses the third but but the point really of the biblical text is that now the the israelites have this additional task laid on them you know it, it's 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 as if your boss would to tell you, if you, if you worked on a computer, I used to work with computers before I became a pastor. It's as if my, my boss would say, all right, now in order for you to do the same job that you had to do, you also have to make your own electricity. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it, it is, it is a huge burden that, that is being placed and then to have the same quota of bricks, the num- the same number of bricks that they made in the past that is still being imposed on them. They they're not being reduced. Um, And then the, the reason, the reason that Pharaoh gives for this is again, going back to his, his, his comment that was made in verse five, when he says that you would have these people stop working. Well, Pharaoh thinks they're just being lazy and, and in the, in the ESV, it says idle, but in the, in the, uh, uh, Holman Christian standard Bible, which, which I, I, I use for my study here, which I like because it does use the, the divine name Yahweh. It, it also sometimes has some, uh, a little bit more looser translated, but it, it uses the word slackers <laughs> for they are slackers. Like
0: that. that is why they're crying out. I was just thinking of this idea, though, they're slackers. You know, there's a phrase when I my first high school job, well, my second high school job actually was working at a a Hardee's, a Hardee's fast food restaurant. And, you know, as anybody who's worked in a restaurant knows, there's a phrase, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. Right. So, you know, if you're if you're lazy and around, you could be at the very least wiping counters or washing walls or something like that. There's no time to rest. If you have time to rest, you have time to do work. And so I imagine basically in the spirit of slacker, the pharaohs saying, If you have time to go off and and saunter off into the desert for seven days to worship your God, you got time to make more bricks then, I guess. You must have a lot of free time if you think you have time to go off and and worship. So I tell you what, you're not going to worship. And since you have all this extra free time, you can do all the extra hard work and it'll free up my men or whoever's been getting you the straw. So, yeah, I I, I like that. Slackers is a very good translation. So they have now this heavier work and then they'll be occupied and they won't be paying
1: attention to Moses and Aaron. And so that's, that's Pharaoh's plan, uh, to get these two old geezers that are trying to get, uh, the people of Israel to go on this worship, uh, pilgrimage in, in the wilderness, work them hard enough that they simply aren't going to want to listen to them. and, and well, uh. We're going to find out uh real soon as we look in the next verses that the people of israel start to play the blame game and and start to turn their
0: derision towards you guessed it moses and aaron well i just looked up that word idol it's from the hebrew daga which means to sink like to sink down or to relax and that's what we're going to do right now we're going to relax and take a break for just a few moments When we return, we will come back and keep our discussion going with the next set of verses in Exodus chapter 5. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me is the Reverend Matthew Lorfeld, pastor of St. Paul and Emmanuel Lutheran Churches in Blue Earth, Minnesota. Before we continue, folks, I just want to let you know that I love hearing from you. I answer every email I receive, so please send me your questions and your comments to pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Well, Pastor Lorfeld, before the break, we were talking about the the slackers that are the Hebrew slaves, at least from the Egyptian's point of view. The Pharaoh is in emburdening in them with extra work just because they ask for time off to go worship their God. But as you said, that was really kind of a soft sell. That was testing the waters, so to speak. Moses and them are convinced that the Pharaoh will certainly not let them go. And they, of course, have the promise of God that while he will free them, it's going to take some work. Before we read the next section, anything else you want to add? I think we covered it well. Okay, then we'll read from verses 10 through 20 once again from the ESV. So the taskmasters and the foreman of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and asked. Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he cried, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh.
1: Before we we get into the blame game story, I, I noticed something as we were listening, as I was listening to you read it. If, if you're reading the Bible, and you you see, especially in the Old Testament, things seem to be repeating over and over, um, that is a Hebrew way of speaking. Now, the Old Testament m- many uh, or much of the Old Testament was actually put to uh, a song or or put to chant so that it would be easier to memorize. We have some notations and so forth in the Hebrew text, in the Masoretic text. For that, although I was never taught exactly what they meant. But I can just imagine that if if you have songs that have a refrain, it sometimes makes it easier. I, I think of you know the song American Pie. You know, I can I can rattle off the entirety of that song, uh, because it's set to music. It's a long song. People that were learning uh Exodus. You know, this was before the printing press, of course. So they would learn, they would learn it by hearing someone speak or more possibly sing it. And then they would repeat it to the to the extent that they would actually have the entirety of the five books of Moses memorized word for word. Wow. And, and the repetition, well, maybe to our modern ears, sound, sounds unnecessary. It was actually there for emphasis, but it was also there for, for bringing about memory of the verses so of the of the text itself. So I wanted to uh, bring that up because you, you do notice that with this, you, you have the instructions about making bricks and not providing straw being repeated like three or four times here.
0: I've always understood that the repetition was for emphasis, but I hadn't considered what you just said about, you know, putting it to to chant or song so that people could memorize and understand it. Something we take for granted that we have such easy and free access to the scriptures. We can bring it up on our on our phones with it. every every house in the country probably has a Bible, even if they're unbelievers. It's so it's that it's that um, that uh, prolific. And yet we we just don't take advantage of access to God's word like we used to. Um, maybe, maybe the extra, the extra, or sorry, maybe the ability to be able to read it whenever we want has caused us to, you know, not take it as seriously as we should. I don't know, but I don't, you know, that's definitely one of my tangents that I don't want to get onto, but I think that's an interesting point you made.
1: That sounds like, uh, yeah, it sounds like maybe a a topic for one of the other shows that (laughs) (laughs) that I listened to, but yeah, indeed, uh, so let's let's get into the the, the, the narrative here. We we begin by being introduced to some additional characters here. The overseers; these are the s- Egyptian slave drivers, and the foremen of the people. This is the 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 Israelites who are being set into positions of supervisory role. Uh, so these foremen are are seen of. By, by the people of Israel, by the Hebrews, as a bit of a turncoat, a bit of a traitor, uh, because they have, they have accepted the whole situation and, and done the best that they could with the, for themselves by making them foreman. But in this case, uh, being a foreman also means that you are, you are the first to be uh, on the receiving end of one of the whips
0: of the slave drivers. This is something that um, I, I hesitate to bring up because of just how negative connotation it has for it. But in the Holocaust, this was the same issue. There would be people amongst the the prisoners in the various camps, and they would choose from them people to be – they wouldn't use the term foreman, but they would choose people to kind of give the directions when necessary to rat on people, to make sure that people were doing the work they're supposed to do. And these people were mildly rewarded for it. Uh, You know, any kind of reward in that situation, you know, people's human nature would get the best of them and they would relish these positions. On the other hand, they were hated by the other people for obvious reasons. So that's what I think of. And I think of the foreman here and the taskmasters, that relationship, which is uh, it's horrifying to make that connection. It's especially horrifying when we realize that it's the same ethnic group of people, too. And and
1: it's also a way that 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 the, uh, Pharaoh and, and, you know, later, uh, I, I, I was unaware of, of the, the Holocaust example of this, but Pharaoh was using this, the, the forming here to, to divide the people, you know, Jesus talks about the house divided against itself. Now he's talking about that in, in the context of, uh, demon possession, but it's still true Uh, As a people, if they're divided, uh, they're going to be easier to control. Uh, And so Pharaoh does that by also then adding additional tasks um, to go and get straw wherever you can find it. That again, uh, to emphasize the fact that they were still making bricks with straw. Uh, They just had to find it, but that there is no uh, reduction in their workload. The overseers are insistent that they still... uh, but they still meet their quota that they, that they get the bricks made and also that straw gathered. Uh, it's the Israelite foreman that, that, that first raised the objection. Why have having to finished making your prescribed or what once, once mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're the ones that are, uh, responding to the slave drivers and are beaten being asked, why haven't you finished making your prescribed
0: number of bricks yesterday or today as you did before? To use your illustration from earlier, they're kind of they're kind of the middle managers, right? So, you know, you have the higher ups who are demanding a workflow. These poor middle managers, you know, they're stuck between being part of the people, but also working for the, the higher ups. And so they're the ones that are getting the punishment for not, you know, the work not having been done. Let's get it done.
1: Yeah. And so they, they, they do cry out to Pharaoh. Uh, they cried out for, for help to Pharaoh in verse 15. Uh, why do you treat your servants like this? Why are you treating us this way? You've not given us straw. Again, we're, we're repeating the theme here. And, and that's really to bring out the emphasis that not only are they having to make bricks, but also having to gather the straw. And now we're being beaten on top of it. And it's your own people who are at fault. That is actually a pretty strong accusation. I, I, I was actually surprised when I first went back and read that. At how bold uh, those those foremen were to actually say to Pharaoh, "It's your people's fault that we're not coming up with the quota."
0: I'm thinking of that too deeply. You know, is it that the foremen do not? Consider that Pharaoh's the one who passed down the order. You know, is this a Luther and Leo the 10th type of situation where Luther's like, oh, poor Leo the 10th, you're you are Daniel among lions because of all the people who are who are misusing your name in the church. So are these these people like, you know, oh, Pharaoh, you know, your 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 supervisors, your taskmasters have taken our straw away from us. Do you even know that? And that's the reason why we're not getting our work done, um, or do they know that Pharaoh knows good and well that he, that the the form I mean the supervisors, the taskmasters uh are just following his orders, but they they aren't going to be so bold as to accuse him directly, but they still want to kind of get the point across that's that's the thoughts that went through my head as I read that because it is it's it is a very bold statement
1: yeah it, it does seem that they, that they are at least. Implying a disconnect between Pharaoh and the overseers, the taskmasters, uh, maybe just in in realizing you don't understand how hard it is to make these bricks, and now we have to gather the straw, right. and now we're being beaten, and that's why we can't do it. We can't do it because of these overseers and what they're making us do. Uh, but Pharaoh in verse seventeen absolutely has none of it. This is where my translation again uses the, the, the word slackers, or, or as the ESV does idle, um, that, uh, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go up to the, go and sacrifice to the Lord. How many of us have, have maybe heard that from, uh, a boss? Uh, I, I, especially when I was in high school, um, I, I, I had bosses that wanted me to work on Sunday morning. Uh, and sometimes even part of the work culture was saying, well, yeah, you're being lazy to go to church and, and no, it wasn't because of being lazy. There's other reasons why you could possibly call me that, but that's not why, you know, uh, <laughs> uh and, and it's so the, this, uh, this, this accusation of, of being a slacker, uh, so that you can go worship the Lord. It, this is, this is, again, it's before they received the 10 commandments, but it is prefacing the importance of worshiping the Lord, remembering the Sabbath day, the day that the Lord rested. Um, the body needs rest, but the soul also needs to be fed too. Um, and that's why they would go to sacrifice to the Lord, because
0: in the worship of, of Yahweh. He ends up being the right. giver, really. Right. So God, Yah, Yahweh, the true God, when contrasted with this false God of Pharaoh, the false God of Pharaoh is saying, work, 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 work. You know, don't be lazy. Work, work harder than you're even possible to work. You know, I'm going to beat you, but you still have to work. I'm going to take away your tools, but you still have to produce the same amount. And then Yahweh, who we know in the in the greater scheme is one who gives who who gives his law for our own benefit who freely gives forgiveness when we transgress it who gives faith and strength for life who gives of his own son's body and blood for the forgiveness of sins as as we you know barrel through the new testament but yeah so our the true god is a god of giving and and the the fact that pharaoh begins this section with saying i don't even know so I, yahweh i've never heard of him is evidence that yeah he is the uh, he's the anti-Yahweh. He really is.
1: Indeed. Indeed. And this is why in other books of the Bible, like Ezekiel, um, and, and a shout out to uh, Dr. Reed Lessing's book on Exodus for pointing this out, that the Pharaohs and Egypt is seen as such an evil and demonic country uh, and, and, and their, their leader, the Pharaoh as, as being a dragon uh, or a serpent, uh, Echoing, of course, the first serpent of the, of the Garden of Eden. And so that's why, uh, that's why the the Pharaoh just really, uh, he, he almost has horns in this, in, in this, uh, book of Exodus. He is really just seen as, as the, the really evil guy that's twisting his mustache and stickering. And, uh, but he's going to, he's going to be judged. Finally, it in in verse twenty. After the 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 foremen leave Pharaoh, now they go and confront Moses and Aaron, who were who stood waiting to meet them. So Moses and Aaron they they had that open door, I guess open door policy. Although we don't know the exact setting of where they're at, but they they planned on talking to these these foremen, and they're going to hear. From the foreman, what they think. And uh, if you want to maybe read the final verses here, from
0: yeah, let's do because, yeah, I get this image that the foreman come up to Moses and Aaron and they're complaining. And Moses and Aaron say, you know what, go talk to Pharaoh yourself. Now, whether they actually had an audience before Pharaoh himself is debatable, I'm sure. But he says, you know, you go talk to them yourself. I'll wait here. We'll wait here and we'll see you when you come out. And when they come out, well, anyway, so I actually am going to read verses uh, 20 through the end of the chapter. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, "O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. So if the foremen are bold in approaching Pharaoh with their concerns and accusing them, wow, uh, you know, Moses is extra Bold. Uh, this gives me a little vibe from the Garden of Eden. But anyway, let's let's see how we go along with it. W- what's going on here? Well, as I was as I was saying that the the, the foremen are
1: turning their their eyes now to Moses and Aaron, giving them the blame. May the Lord take note of you and judge you. uh May the Lord look on you and judge you, uh, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh. I. I, I, it's very few people that that I've ever run across where that's the kind of attitude I have towards them, and obviously as Christians we should not we should not have that kind of attitude towards our 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 fellow human being, which was been made in the image of God. It's um, been uh, was one for G, that Jesus has died for, but yet our sinful flesh sometimes greats when there are personalities that just don't, don't, are, don't find themselves compatible with us, but to say that they, they, they stink or, or they, they, they reek in front of us. That's, that's a pretty harsh judgment that, that, that one would be repulsed simply by the, by the sight of them. But that's what that's what they're saying. They're saying uh, to to Pharaoh, Moses, you have caused us now to become repulsive, and so Moses then goes back to the Lord in verse twenty-two. He goes back to the Lord, and I want to be careful here because the the text does not give a a blame game necessarily as as much as Genesis did in the fall with in chapter three. But there is a little bit. Moses goes to the Lord, and he does acknowledge that the Lord is in control of the situation. But he asks the simple question: Why have you caused this trouble? And why did you send me? Maybe Moses is losing uh, faith that 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 he's going to carry out the job. I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but a, as a pastor, there are some times where I just think, boy. I I I spin my wheels, try to teach the word of God, and it just doesn't seem to be sinking in. Of course,
0: we don't get to see what the Holy Spirit is doing behind the scenes. Well, exactly. I think there's a there is a, a tendency for us to look at people like Moses and say, well, he must have perfect faith, right? So this is we're gonna try to twist this text into kind of getting Moses off the hook from perhaps what is really just an obvious case of doubt like john the baptizer in prison sending people to jesus you know could john the baptizer doubt of course he can't he's a human being and so moses here yeah i think it's a it's a moment of doubt it's a venting of frustration i think it is a you know what is going on you know even though the lord has given him the promise even though the lord has told him that the first efforts aren't going to work he, he said back in chapter three. You know, he's not going to let you go unless I do something miraculous. But perhaps there's this expectation that the things that have already happened were enough. You know, Moses is like, OK, well, what more could you possibly need to do to convince this guy? And of course, we know because we're looking back in history. But Moses doesn't know. And so it's natural for him to have some doubts. And with this blame game, the reason I mentioned the the Garden of Eden, obviously, is is the same thing with Genesis chapter three. Right, you know, you know, God says, you know, what have you done? And then the man says, or you know, it's this woman whom you gave to be with me. Right? They they're blaming back and forth instead of acknowledging the real the real issue. And that's I think what's going on here with Moses and the foreman and everybody else.
1: Yeah, and and you know, just an aside with Genesis three, we were talking about this in one of my classes with my students. We were talking about how when Adam blames, he blames, it's the woman that you gave me. So Adam is blaming the Lord. Mm -hmm. Moses is blaming the Lord, but he's not wrong necessarily to do so because God is in control of all this, but he said, okay, you have promised that you're going to be delivering and it seems like things are going the opposite direction. This is the opposite of being delivered. This is making slavery even worse. As if you could make slavery good, it's not. It's terrible. Um, I I think, by the way, this is why Exodus chapter five actually, for for those who found themselves in slavery in the United States, a lot of their their uh, uh, spirituals drew on the images in Exodus chapter five. They they found an affinity. For the plight uh, of the plight of the people of israel of course they they didn't know the story that freedom was coming but they also knew uh what it, what it was like to have backbreaking work and feel the end of a whip and 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 just uh the humiliation and, and the horrendous state of 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 life as as a slave and, yeah. and so they used that to hold on to hope in the midst of Really, I I can't imagine being in that situation, but so I I, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't put too much blame on, on Moses here for, for saying the words that he does, because I know that I have had much less happen to me where I have said, Lord, when are you going to, you know, have that word of God, which falls on us like rain, bring up forth fruit? come on. Um, I hadn't loved to see some of that fruit right now. So, right. So chapter five concludes with, uh, with Moses almost, well, not almost, he does simply accuse God. He says, you haven't delivered your people at all, but, uh, we're going to get a response in, in chapter six. Um, and can I do a spoiler alert? Is it going to be okay? If I do, let's spoiler, do it. Yeah. Cause I, I don't right. think you can leave it there. You know, know, the
0: division is too, too stark.
1: Yeah. In, 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 my, in, 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 in my translation, the Holman Christian standard Bible, it actually puts verse one in the same paragraph here. Uh, the Lord replies to Moses. Now you are going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. He will let them go because of my strong hand. He will drive them out of this land because of my strong hand. So God is going to use this. But things have to actually get worse before they get better. This is part of God's plan. Um, and so like, this is maybe something for us to learn from this too. When, when we find ourselves and I don't want to allegorize this too much, but I think it is something that we need to learn as Christians that when we endure hardships, it's not because God has withdrawn and abandoned us. Rather, it's often that he is preparing for what he is going to do next. And we know that what he is going to do ultimately is going to be good. Uh, it, it's ultimately going to be the uh, for, for the good of his own kingdom. So we, we can trust in God even when things look bleak. So if your church is in budget season, and, and this has been a tight year, as I know many churches have had tough budget seasons, see this as an opportunity. See this as an opportunity to trust all the more that God's going to accomplish his mission. Um, if you've had hard times in your town um, with manufacturing, maybe you've had a plant closure or something like that, you can easily get discouraged, but also you can double down in trust in the Lord. And I think that is is one of the huge takeaways from this chapter that is as things get worse god is going to take away all the things that we have trusted in
0: so that we would trust in him alone these trials and tribulations that we encounter just are in many ways opportunities for us as you have said so rightly put our faith hope and trust in Jesus and of course when we suffer we share in the sufferings of Christ and that's the good news for today absolutely so I tell you what I'd like to uh, go ahead and bring the show to a close we're at the end of our hour I'd like to thank my guest this morning the Reverend Matthew Lorfeld pastor of St. Paul and Emmanuel Lutheran churches in Blue Earth Minnesota at least for a little while longer blessings to you pastor on your transition to Wisconsin Rapids Wisconsin I believe Uh, and thank you for being on the show Well, thank you, Phil. It was wonderful to be back on. Thank you, too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tomorrow, we continue in Exodus with Chapter 6. So, be sure to join us then. And until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word.